welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. For the final week of Advent, Pastor Ben Pitney has a message about love. Turn to John chapter 7, verses 31 through 52. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good to see you guys. Thanks for coming. Spend a little bit of time with me. This is um, the fourth Sunday of Advent, and it signifies love, right? It reminds us that Jesus was sent to us because of his great love for us. So we want to talk about love just for a few minutes. So Bentley, introduce us to your family just real yeah, quick. Yeah, so um, well, I'm Bentley, and this is my, my beautiful wife, Brooke. Okay, and we know you guys because you grew up at Vail Christian Church, so we're really happy to talk with you for a few minutes. And we want to talk about love. So, um, in particular, we want to talk about just how does the world define love and how does a Christ follower or the Bible define love first? Yeah, I mean, the world defines love. When we look at look at our, our love songs, look at our movies, everything um, everything points to love as a feeling, an emotion. And you fall into love and you fall out of love. And God's love is so different than that because it's unconditional and everlasting. It, you know, you, God doesn't fall in and out of love with us. Um, look at the Israelite people. They, God loves them. He does everything for them, pulls them out of slavery, and um, they turn their backs on them right away, but he right. sticks with them through it all and does the same thing with us. Absolutely. God kind of love is no ifs, ands, or buts, no strings attached, unconditional love, just like you said. Yeah. So um, we want to kind of set the context up just a little bit and read some Bible verses together. So we're going to start with um, Luke chapter 2, verses 16 through 20. So they hurried off and located Mary and Joseph and found the baby lying in a manger. When they saw him, they related what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were astonished at what the shepherds said. But Mary treasured up all these words, pondering in her heart what they might mean. So the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything was just as they had been told. For this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Love must be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another with mutual love, showing eagerness and honoring one another. So when do you feel, though, then for you, when do you feel most loved? I think for me, I feel most loved when I get um, focused attention, right? In our world of um, cell phones and televisions and just um, five-second attention spans, when um, somebody is able to just focus and spend time with me and put their phone down and um, we're just able to spend good quality time together and just um, enjoy and you can tell that you're a priority when someone's able to put their phone down or whatever it is for you and to be able to focus and to take time out of such busy schedules that we all have just to be together um, that just means a lot to me. Sure. What are some of the things that you guys do that don't include money or um, uh, special means? You know, I think kind of like what we were talking about I mean Something that we all have is we have time, right? And we have to use our time wisely. And um, 
even without money, you can still go and write a letter for someone and send it to them. You can talk on the phone for a while. You could go pull your neighbor's weeds. You can watch their kids for an hour so that they can have some time together. Um, I think in a lot of ways, our gifts of time are huge because it takes a lot out of us. It takes a lot to give your time, um, but it means the world to people and you're able to give very generously in that way without any money. Uh, I, I guess one other question that I wanted to get to is what can you do this season to really put Jesus's love into action? What are some of the action steps that you're going to take to be intentional or others minded? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think looking at what actions are we going to take, you have to look at first defining what what is what is love? What is Jesus love? Well, Jesus came. He um, lived the life that we failed to live. He served others as the King of Kings came down and served us. He was sacrificial, gave his life for us. And the prophet says, there's no greater love than to give your life for a friend. And that's what Jesus showed us. And he forgave us. And you know, just looking at those things, um, you know, it's looking at what are ways that we can serve people? Can we, what are ways that we can sacrifice for people and, and forgive them, um, show them that true love? It's uh, going out of your way, setting you know, things aside to, um, to put other people before you and other people's needs first. It's really good to visit with you guys just a little bit. Uh, we don't all think exactly the same, but this Advent journey right now that we're talking about rediscovering love in our differences, and we, all, we can all do it a little bit differently, and we're all designed by God differently, so um, I'm excited that you guys have been here with us today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having us. You know, when we were talking about through the Lord's Supper just uh, a little bit ago, honestly, that story came to my mind because I read it quite a while ago. It, I, I remember that story because of Brooke, actually. And the reason why is because um, Brooke is pretty well known for that really long hair that she has. In, in the video there, it, um, she has it a little curled, and it's probably not as long as it has been. But I was thinking that long hair like that is is pretty cool we as a church um a number of years ago uh, julie spear was our youth pastor and her hair grew really long like that as well and she used to once a year she would get her hair cut and donate it to people who are going through chemotherapy or other th reasons why they lose their hair because they make wigs out of it and her hair grew so fast and so long she would do that but it just reminds me of if you're going to serve somebody, it, it requires some sort of sacrifice. And sacrifice is something that we don't define very well a lot of times. But true sacrifice means that something has to die, right? You really have to give something up of value and something has to die. But a lot of times we think that serving is... Um, more defined by, well, if it fits, if, uh, if it fits in my schedule, if I have enough time, if it's convenient enough, right? We don't like to do things very often, I don't think, that require true sacrifice. It's just not in our nature to do that, but true Christ follower kind of love, Jesus kind of love, God kind of love is very, very sacrificial, we're into doing things that we're passionate about, right? <laughs> and uh, sometimes I get pretty tired of hearing that because most of the time, 
most of the things I have to do, I'm not that passionate about. <laughs> I'm just not. And, and there's so much that we need to do and that we should do that doesn't have anything to do with where our passion is. So I think this week what uh, I, I want to draw out a little bit more when we're talking about love, God kind of love, agape love, no ifs, ands, or buts, no strings attached kind of love, right? I think that we've got to talk about sacrifice and, and other things. I think we have to sort of look at love a little bit differently than we normally do. And so I want you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 7, and we're going to get a view of Jesus and some stories and the way he interacts with people. I think you get a really good idea of love and how you can love people. I know that during this time of year, it is easy to feel a little bit out of step. Out of step, I mean, with our culture, the way our culture views Christmas, engages with this time of year. And it's also a time as Christmas approaches to kind of feel depleted a little bit. It just wears me out. And you may be feeling a little depleted anyway. You may be feeling a little weary or tired or dry, so to speak, because of this pandemic. We call it kind of COVID fatigue, right? And just get tired of talking about it, thinking about it, being reminded of it. Everything, it just permeates everything. So our lives have been severely changed and redirected and just life is really different and so I want to talk about this a little bit we're going to read this together because Jesus is God's love embodied in our world and infused into our lives Jesus wants to heal us God wants to heal us he wants to draw us together and I'm praying that you get to experience this deep loyal love that God has for us. The psalmist David, King David, he writes in, in his poetry, in his songs, he writes, and when he describes God kind of love, he always describes it as loyal love. I enjoy under, trying to understand God's loyal love. Because that kind of love will change you to where you want to give that kind of love away. It'll help you redefine love. Let's read in John chapter 7. Let's start at verse 31. Kind of get a glimpse of Jesus interacting with people and kind of what's going on. Starting in verse 31, it says, Yet many of the crowd believed in him and said, Whenever the Christ comes, he won't perform miracle or miraculous signs than this man did, right? Will he? <laughs> Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things about Jesus, so the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. I mean, they're upset with Jesus. They're really fired up. He's started kind of a revolution. He's really stirring it up as he interacts with people. So then Jesus said, I'll be with you for only a little while longer, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You'll look for me, but uh, you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jewish leaders said to one another, where is he going to go that we cannot find him? 
He's not going to go to the Jewish people dispersed among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What did he mean by saying, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? (laughs) Well, on the last day of the feast, the greatest day, Jesus stood up and he shouted out. I think it's important to know that he shouted this. Here it comes. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. Just as the scripture says, and he reaches back, John does in the Old Testament here as he was recording this. It says, from within him will flow rivers of living waters. And then there's some parentheses in verse 39 around the words there. You should pay attention to that because that's John's commentary, a sort of explanation of what's going on. It says, now he said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were going to receive for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus hasn't ascended and he's not yet glorified, all right? He's not passed the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection yet. Verse 40, when they heard these words, some of the crowd began to say, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But still others said, no, for the Christ doesn't come from Galilee, does he? I mean, not that place. Serious? You've been there, right? <laughs> Don't the scriptures say that the Christ is a descendant of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? So there was a division in the crowd because of Jesus. Some of them were wanting to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Kind of just gets a little bit more intense. Look at verse 45. Then the officers returned to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why didn't you bring him back with you? And the officers replied, and I think this is profound right here. They listen to what they say. No one ever spoke like this man. And then the Pharisees answered, you haven't been deceived too, have you? None of the members of the ruling council of the Pharisees have believed in him. Have they? But this rabble who do not know the law, are they're cursed. And then verse 50, this is unusual. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus before, and who was one of the rulers, said, our law doesn't condemn a man unless it first hears from him and learns what he's doing. Does it? And they replied, you are from Galilee too, are you? Investigate carefully, and you'll see that no prophet comes from Galilee. This is really unbelievable scene. You get to see all kinds of things. And I would say, as you're interacting with this story or these stories just a little bit, you need to be careful not to just project like the Pharisees have no way. I mean, those guys, of course, right? They're not like me. It's really easy to kind of look at, but I think you should, I think all of us should kind of take a look at all um, as ourselves, because we're all represented in these stories, I think. The crowd, the Pharisees, the officers or soldiers, there's people searching, these pilgrims, right? I think that um, there's a lot going on, and what I think is that 
it's not really a whole lot different now than it was then. We just have cell phones and phones with cameras in it. I'm not even sure I have a phone anymore. It's just a computer with a camera that I get to talk into quite a bit, right? Psalm 63, verse 1. Here's David. Look at what David says. He says, oh God, you are my God. I long for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but David, if you read his his uh, poetry, his songs, his writings, actually, you'll see him. He's a pretty emotional guy. He's up and down, and there's times where he's just like, I am so thirsty. I'm so tired of what's going on. I'm so dry. I'm so parched. And he, he, he cries out to God, God, I just really need some of you right now. And there's other times where he's just really up and, and praising the Lord, and he can do that in the same psalm really easy. But it, this is a, a description of, I think, the way you and I feel, or the way our culture feels a lot of times, dry and desperately thirsty. It's a powerful human need. It's a description of a human need. And in John chapter 7, Jesus uses the language of thirst to call us to himself. He uses this because uh, this is the way he's going to love people, and it's really unique. John 7, look at verse 37 and 38, the first half. Look for yourself in the scriptures. I'll, I'll put it up, but I think you should write this or at least underline this in your Bible. Here's the red dot in the middle of the target. Here's the center right here of this whole scene. It says, on the last day of the feast, the greatest day, Jesus stood up and he shouts this. Amongst all these people, right, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Let him come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink. It's, a, it's, it's moving to see Jesus calling people, calling out to these folks that are searching, that are on a journey. They're in the middle of just life, just like you and I. They're filled with hope and they're filled with longing. Isn't that the way we feel during this season? During Christmas, right? On the last day of the feast, the greatest day, but but we got to review a little bit. we got to look at the context and see what's actually going on because this is a really dramatic moment. The Feast of Booth, it, Booths, it takes place in the fall and on the last day for a week. And so um, the, during this time, you'll see the Orthodox uh, Jewish person build a little temporary kind of tent booth kind of thing. And, and it, it's, a, it's a reflection of the time when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness and they had to li- live in temporary shelters, right? And so um, the Feast of Bo- Booths is, is this context of this scene where people are coming to celebrate, right? And it draws on memories it, um, of Israel's period of wandering in the wilderness, just like I said, in Jerusalem, during Jesus' time, the festival included a lamplighting ceremony. And the lamplighting ceremony recalled the pillar of fire that led the people in that wandering time. And a ritual of carrying water each day from the pool of Siloam into the temple, it recalls uh, the, the water that gushed from the rock at Meribah. 
So there's all kinds of symbolism, all kinds of really cool things going on here. So the week-long feast, it comes to a high point on the last day. And for the three days prior to Jesus' teaching. And so it kind of created a wave of enthusiasm. And Jesus is kind of capitalizing on it. It's an opportunity. There's a lot of energy amongst all these people. Okay? And if I were to use language, modern language today, uh, that the language of social media, what is happening right now with Jesus? Jesus is trending. Okay? He's trending. People are paying attention to what he's got to say. So picking up the story in verse 32, you see that Jerusalem's uh, leadership had given up on talking to Jesus because they just can't battle him that way. He's too brilliant. So they send the temple guards with handcuffs to arrest him. Verse 32 through 34, take a look. It says the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring, so they're all uh, discussing this, and they're trying to figure it out. All these things that he's saying, so the chief priests and the Pharisees, they overhear all this, and so they're like, okay, here's our chance. So they send the officers. And then Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to be with you very long. Just a little longer. And then I'm going to the one who sent me, you look for me, but you're not going to find me. And where I am, you cannot come. And so, you know what's happening? Jesus, brilliantly, he's confounding his enemies right now. Part of it's their own fault. They're confounding themselves. But Jesus is sort of pressing on this. So, he confounds his enemies. And then he issues a warning in the middle of all this by speaking of realities that the chief priests and the Pharisees, they're totally blind to this. His journey through the crucifixion or to the crucifixion and then to the resurrection is going to finally lead to an ascension and then he's going to return to the Father. That's why he says, to the one who sent me. And you can make a couple of observations here, all right, about the ensuing confusion on the part of these guys who think they're in charge of the events. Now, before, again, it's so easy to criticize the Pharisees, but I think this is indicative of still of the world that we live in. And I don't think you got You should give up on people. People think like this. People are confused. People are blind for reasons, right? But here's the first observation. Number one, they discuss where he could disappear to, all right? Having only their limited imaginations to draw from. So lots of people are like this. They think they know who God is. They think they know who Jesus is. They have limited understanding here and a small mind about most things here. And so Jesus is speaking of his reunion with God the Father, and they consider Greece to be a far horizon off in the distance, right? In their small world, the Lord's remarks are incomprehensible. That's what's happening, all right? And then second, Jesus' statement, you'll look for me, but you'll not find me. It's a warning. It's actually a warning. What's the lesson in the warning? Why would he warn anybody? Because the door of opportunity, it's getting smaller and it's closing. Okay. He's not running away as a fugitive. He's headed to a world-changing battle from where he will emerge to reign and to rule Lord of heaven and earth. Lord of the universe. Okay. 
His enemies will not be able to find him because they have been left far behind. So Luke records it like this. Luke chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Look how Luke records this. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would have none of it. Look, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So when you go to verse 32 and back in John chapter 7, the Pharisees heard the crowds murmuring these things. So they decide to jump on it. They send the officers. Then Jesus says, I'm, you know, he says all these things, right? And the Jewish leaders are like, where's he going that we can't find him? Maybe it's Greece. He's talking about Greece, really? The Greeks. Jewish people dispersed among the Greeks to teach the Greeks. What did he mean uh, by, by all this? You, you're going to look for me, but you're going to find me? Where am I? Uh. See, the opportunity to choose faith in Jesus, it doesn't last forever. It's amazing how we don't realize that, how we don't understand that. Uh, so many times, maybe you felt God the, God the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart, that, that feeling in your stomach, in your heart, in your soul, deep inside where you just have this ache and, and you feeling like the Lord is doing something. And so often we stiff arm, the, stiff arm God. But there are no promises that he's going to come back and return when he's calling you, when he's knocking on your heart. You see? So... A seared conscience eventually becomes impervious to every appeal. You know, you, you begin to just stiff arm God long enough and then you just grow cold. And so with this warning in view, you come to the center of the whole passage right here. It's amazing how as Jesus loves, as he tells the truth and how this reality kind of fleshes out, there's a warning in the middle of it. Careful not to stiff arm God. Jesus turns from the self-important elites, and there's always going to be those people who just are, they're not going to have anything to do with it. But look what Jesus does. There are so many, there are tons, there's a crowd of pilgrims that Jesus cries out to who long for a real encounter with God's truth. Pay attention to that. As much as there's a lot of the world out there that just doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus, there's so much more that actually does. And that's far more open than we might think. Verse 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, the greatest day, Jesus stood up and he shouted out, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. Just as the scripture say, says, From within him will flow Rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit in whom those who believed in him were going to receive. So he's talking about what's happening in the future. For the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So there's three kind of stages to this offer. And I think it's important to look at these stages. The offer made here looks like this. First, the, the Lord receives us and he gives us the living water that we long for. We cannot forget that, that this is what Jesus is all about. His arms are like this. Hey, if you're thirsty, just come. Just come. 
do not take that lightly. In the world that we're living in, the world is so desperate. Most people's hearts are way more open than you might think. And Jesus receives this just as we are. He doesn't say, hey, clean yourself up, brush yourself off, get your act together, and then, uh, you know, I'm right here when you're, when you get some stuff done. That's not it. It's like you're thirsty. You're searching for anything and everything to fill this thirst, to quench your thirst. And I'm telling you, it's me. Just get over here. Come to me. Don't forget that, that stage. But I want you to look at the second stage because we receive the Spirit as a lasting presence residing with us. He chooses to change us from the inside out. Here it is right here. He chooses to live and to dwell right here. We come to Jesus because we're desperate, characterized by our thirst and our need for life. We don't need to repeat this pattern of desperation over and over again and rescue over and over again. You see, united with Jesus, we begin each day with the loving approval of God who is as near to us as our own heart. This is where he chooses to change us. And he accepts us. His arms are just like this. Right? And we become then, third, a source of blessing to others who still thirst. Rivers of living water flow out of us as we give away what we've been given. I'm, I'm thinking about this girl that I grew up with in high school. We were really good friends because we lived close to each other because we went from first grade all the way through high school. Hey, I sat by her in homeroom. We had classes all, you know, I don't know. And I think the reason why we became better friends in high school is because she had a 1955 Ford pickup that she drove around. Some about being friends with a girl who had a truck. And I had a truck. I had a 64 Chevy truck. And so we used to park next to each other at school because our trucks were cool. <laughs> and, you know, we were friends. We did stuff. We went to parties and dances and took classes. And, you know, we just did life in this little town I grew up in. And when uh, I was in college, it was uh, my last summer before I graduated. I came home and uh, I, I went to this drugstore. It sounds so like I'm super old, but in Prescott, we had a drugstore that had an ice cream bar th- shop thing in it called Thrifty. They used to have it. That's where you get ice cream. So I went to the ice cream thing the dr- at the drugstore, and she was working in the pharmacy. She was home for the summer, too, and I saw her, and, and, and it was so great. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I thought I came home, and I wasn't going to see anybody. And so we connected for a little bit, and she said, hey, what are you doing? I, I said, let's, let, nothing, let's get together tonight. And so we went in to get pizza. And we're sitting there eating pizza, and she goes, Ben, she goes, listen. She goes, so great to see you, but I am so mad at you. You cannot believe. She was serious. And I said, what? What? <laughs> I, what? And she said, you know, when we were in high school, that I knew you were different. There's something about you. And I knew it was because you were a Christian. You were a Christ follower. You knew Jesus. I knew it. Straight up, I knew it. She said, that was great. But she said, the reason why I'm so mad at you is because you never told me. 
You never told me about Jesus. You never invited me. You never explained anything to me. So I was stupefied and horrified and dumbfounded, and I didn't know what to say, and she knew it. She had me under her thumb. It's really hard for a guy to be confronted by a pretty girl still driving a truck. I didn't know what to say, and so she gently let me off the hook. She said, but she goes, I'm not going to be mad at you anymore because I came to Jesus. Somebody explained Jesus to me. They invited me to church. I'm a Christian. I was baptized about a year ago. I came to Jesus. And so, you know, I'm still stunned. And she's telling me all about it and her journey and everything. We had pizza and I felt horrible. (laughs) He gives us this living water that we long for. But we're not supposed to just keep it to ourselves. It's supposed to flow out of us as well, right? We become a source of blessing to others who still thirst. But we're just caught up in our own whatever, and we just never, we never think about the other pilgrims that are out there, the people longing, and, and they have hope, and, and, and they're excited about Christmas and things like that, and they're so open, but we, we just keep it to ourselves. We never say a thing. John chapter 7, look at verse 40. When they heard these words, some of the crowd started saying, this really is the problem. Look at these people. They're just interacting with, with the, uh, what, what Jesus has done. This is the Christ. But still others say, no, it's not the Christ. You know, he's from Galilee. He can't be this. And they start, look at what they start arguing about. What they start getting focused off, all off track about. Is anybody off track about what Christmas is about in our culture? Of course. John doesn't report on anyone who responded to Jesus' invitation to come to him, but I think it's highly likely people did. I think people came to him and said, sadly, what we read about is a discussion that is an argument about arcane theological categories. Is this man a Messiah like Moses, the prophet? Or a Messiah like David, Bethlehem? Bethlehem versus Galilee. <laughs> so silly. These guys are so focused on each other that all of them ignore the enormous gift being offered by Jesus. That's right where even Christ followers get sometimes and the world that we live in. That's right there, right? And look at verse 45. It says the officers turn, return to the chief priest. This is crazy. Why didn't you bring him back? No one ever spoke like this guy. I mean, you should have been there. We didn't know what to do. We're stupefied. And, and then the, the whole thing with Nicodemus, you know, and, and they, they mock him. Are you, are you like these Galilee goofballs too? You know, I can't believe you're deceived by them. In these verses, we clearly see the 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 proud self-importance is the primary characteristic of Jesus' enemy. Self-importance. And I don't know if you're going to reach those folks very easy. I'm not saying they're not not reachable. But so often we get all focused on those, those guys. The authorities, right? They dismiss the temple guards as dupes. The ignorant multitude is declared to be, you know, cursed. 
according to them, they're just ignorant. They don't know anything. They haven't been to whatever, right? Because they're elite. Nicodemus, this guy's actually unusually cool. He's one of their own. He's brushed aside with ridicule. He's mocked. They ridicule him as a Galilean, an unsophisticated bumpkin. Oh, you're just like, you know, same thing. But those who occupy positions of authority, they're shown to be ridiculous as we hear them speak. Because Nicodemus, he comes up with this question. It's, it's a reasonable question. It deserves a response. And the statement of the officers is the wisest word of all. No one ever spoke like this guy. The behavior of the authorities is self-condemning. Now, in the midst of all this, it's just like the world that we live in. What's this got to do with us and, and love and this Advent love and Jesus' love and God's love? Here's what it has to do with us. These stories in John 7 help us the most if we apply the offer of Jesus to ourselves. Don't forget his offer. Look at his offer. If anyone's thirsty, you ever been thirsty? <laughs> let him come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. That's where it all is. It's with Jesus. We got to keep this in mind. He's doing this out of love. Come to me. I'll quench your thirst. I'll satisfy your longing. Number two, we have to admit that we're thirsty. And we don't like to do that sometimes. What? Yeah, think about it like this. It's a characteristic of fallen human beings to pretend. Yeah. Often lying to ourselves that we're doing just fine. Everything's good. Right? A two-year-old insists, and you know this, a two-year-old insists, I can dress myself, and then they end up with the shoes on the wrong feet. And we carry this approach into adulthood, claiming competencies we don't actually have. I can do this on my own. Jeremiah 2.13 offers a really great picture of our dilemma, right? Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed a double wrong. They have rejected me, the fountain of life-giving water, and they have dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns, which cannot even hold water. It's only when we can be honest about what is lacking that we can come to the Lord for living water. So we got to be honest. we got to help people be honest. We have to be honest. And there is a war on reality in our culture right now. Total war. Everybody's lying to everybody. So here it comes. Number three, what's this have to do with me? We must recognize that Jesus' offer is an act of sheer Grace. It's a free gift. It's grace. You can't make ourselves well. We can't do it. We can't make ourselves well. And we cannot pay for the gifts that he offers. You can't work for it and earn it. Our contribution is to say yes with gratitude. That's our contribution. Stop hesitating. Come to me. He shouts it. Did you catch that? He shouts it. Come to me. I'll quench your thirst. If you believe, come to me. That's what he's saying. He's shouting it. He's shouting it still. Number four, we should observe that the Lord 
does not promise to alter our life circumstances. So we've got to keep it real. We've got to keep it real, right? Changes in relationships, changes in our employment, home and health, they can occur. And I'm not saying Jesus doesn't want to do that. They can occur as the Spirit of God gives, us, gives our life new direction. But there's no assurance of those things. And so don't deceive anyone, including yourself, about what will happen. His offer, though, last. His offer is to quench the thirst of our hearts, providing living water from within. It's going to change you from the inside out. That's his offer. Quench the thirst in your life. And isn't that, can't you, do you recognize how people are thirsty out there? <laughs> Listen, there's going to be the haters. There's going to be those, just like those, the, the Pharisees and those authorities and stuff. But man, there's so many, there's so many officers and soldiers. And look at the pilgrims. We began today with David speaking of a thirst, a thirsty heart. A thirsty heart in verse 1 of Psalm 63. I just want to conclude with three verses that follow. It's David's description, King David's description of God's gift, a life overflowing with living water. Here it is, Psalm 63, starting in verse 2. Yes, in the sanctuary I've seen you. And witnessed your power and splendor because experiencing your loyal love is better than life itself. My lips will praise you for this reason. I will praise you while I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. Man, that's, that's what you and I need and that's what the world needs from us. This loyal love. I'm praying this week that you would experience this loyal love that God has given to us through his son Jesus and that it would flow out of you to everybody else around you. It is life-changing. It will truly rescue people from this thirst and this yearning and this weary, this weariness that people have. I think the season is ripe for it. I think this pandemic is a gift. People are open. We, last year, we decided as a team to do something. We decided that we, um, as a church, that we would offer a Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve Eve. <laughs> we decided we would do it. Here's the vision behind it, because there are so many folks that, don't come to Christmas Eve that you work with, that you interact with, that don't know Jesus. Because on Christmas Eve, they're with their families and they're doing stuff. And we have lots of traditions with that. So it's not easy sometimes to invite somebody to a Christmas Eve service. So we said, let's do it the night before. And I think people will come. And it was pretty successful. What happened was actually some of us, the church, we said, oh, hey, I'm going to do that because I'm going to go then do stuff with my family. And it's not really the reason why we did it, right? I'm not, if you can't come on Christmas Eve, actually, to one of the three services, four, six, and eight, I'm, come on Christmas Eve, Eve. I want you to. But what I would rather see is you catch this vision that there's people out there that, I think you should invite and come with them on Christmas 
easy. That, that need to know and understand and get a little bit of a glimpse of this loyal love that David talks about of God. And then I think you should come back on Christmas Eve. I think you should take advantage this year. So Christmas Eve, the service is at six, or four, six, and eight. Christmas Eve, Eve, the, the night before Christmas Eve <laughs> is at 6 p.m. I would really love you to take advantage of the opportunities. We don't do a lot during this time of year in terms of like outreach events. We want you to be with your family and enjoy um, all that's going on and go to things that, um, you know, in the middle of the craziness. But these two nights are, I think, nights where we celebrate actually what Christmas is really all about. Father, thank you for um, this season. I'm praying, God, that our lives would be changed because of this experience of loyal love that you've given us through your son, Jesus. And I'm praying that our hearts would overflow like a river into other people's lives. People need this grace, this free gift. And it's a great time to be bold and tell people and proclaim and tell them where they can get their thirst quenched. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.